Praise the Lord today. And this is Pastor Adams, the president and the founder of Truth Matters Ministries. And thank God for this wonderful day that the Lord has made and that we have opportunity to come and to share in this very important teaching of effective evangelism. Thank you for those who were actually able to join and to listen to our last podcast on effective evangelism. And we're going to be continuing on this very vital component of our Christian life and our Christian obligation is that to share the gospel of Jesus Christ effectively. Before we get into that, we want to just pray. Now, Father, we thank you once again for your unmatchless grace. We thank you, Lord, for your tender mercies. We give your name praise for your kindness towards us. We thank you for this day. So many, Lord God, went to bed last night and they pressed their dying pillow. But you allowed us to live on. Lord, our being here today, it speaks of your purpose for us. It speaks of your intent for us. It, thinks of, it speaks of your destiny for us. And Lord, our, our endeavor is to walk in our destiny. Our endeavor is to walk, Lord, and be led by your spirit. We want to fulfill your purpose for our living. We want to be bright lights in a dark world that we might be able to show men how to come out of darkness and walk in your marvelous light. Let souls be saved today. Let men be encouraged. Let people find help and strength and refuge through your word. Let the body of Christ, those who are already believers, let them, Lord, be enriched and be equipped and be fortified that they might be effective witnesses for your kingdom. Oh, we thank you for the mighty harvest that's ahead. It's all these things we ask in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. And before we get into our teaching on effective evangelism, I want to just remind you of the words that were spoken by Blaise Pascal. Blaise Pascal said that truth is so obscure in these days, and he said that falsehoods are so well established. He said that unless men really love the truth, he says that they can't even know it. Mark Twain said that a lie will travel all around the world before truth can even get its boots on. And I'm just mindful of the words of Adam Schiff as he was giving final comments during the Donald Trump impeachment trial. He said this, he says, we have to stand up for what's right because right matters. Then he said, and the truth because truth matters. And he said, without it, we're lost. And today we're so thankful that you've joined this Truth Matters podcast because you know truth does matter. And as we continue in this particular segment of effective evangelism, our desire to reach a dead and lost world, we want to just share something that's very important. There are so many Christians who have reasons why they don't evangelize. And those who are in our listening audience today, I want you just to think, do I do a good job? What's the priority that I have as it relates to sharing my faith? If I think about a week that goes by, how many people do I actually talk to or share my faith with? Those who I have a very strong perception that they're not even born again, that they don't even mention the name Jesus Christ, have no spiritual activity whatsoever in their life. Do I share the gospel with them? 
And if I don't do it, why don't I do it? Maybe you might not feel that you're qualified to do it. Maybe it's a fear that you might say something wrong. In the Truth Matters ministry, we desire to empower and just equip ordinary people to master the principles of how to witness just like Jesus did. Instead of having an intellectual argument and trying to demonstrate, you know, how intelligent we are and that we want to defend our position and to prove people that we're right and they're wrong, we want to show how to ask a series of questions that bypass the intellect, the place of argument, and then go straight to the conscience and to the soul where the knowledge of right and wrong are located. Once a person sees that they have violated God's law, then we can show them how they can actually correct that violation. And our desire at the Truth Matters Ministry is to show you how to present God's solution to man's violations and sins, of which is the gospel in a biblical way. This is a very simple and easy way to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're going to talk about, in the area of effective evangelism, the task and duty of the Christians are to let our light shine before men, that they might see our good works and glorify the Father who is in heaven, according to Matthew 5 and 16. This is what our Lord said to us through the writer of Acts in the 13th chapter in the 47th verse. He says, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I've made you a light for the Gentiles that you might bring salvation to the very ends of the earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations is what the Bible says in Matthew 28 and 19. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Psalms 105 and 1 says, Give praise to the Lord. Proclaim his name. Make known among the nations what he has done. If we're going to be effective in our evangelism, we have to do that as well. 1 Peter 3.15 says something that I've lived by for years. He says, but in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer. Not to just some people, but to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and with respect. It's so important that we do that. We're not going to unpack all of these verses or give detailed commentary on them. But just their superficial message is enough for this particular effective evangelism exposition. Acts 1 and 8 says, But you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to all the ends of the earth. My question to those of you who are listening today is what kind of witness are you? If you had to grade yourself A, B, C, D, or F, would you be an A? 
Think about your witnessing activity last week, the week before that, this month, over the last year. Would it be a B? How many people have you actually been used to bring to Christ in the last week, in the last month, in the last year? In the last year, in the last few years since you've been born again and saved, how has your light been shining? How have you been used and yielded yourself and committed yourself to being a vessel that would plant God's word to bring a harvest and to bring men to the cross that they might receive redemption and forgiveness of sins. Acts 20 and 24 says, However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus has given me. What is that task? The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. And then Mark 16 and 15 says this. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Have you been doing that, people of God? Have you been a light? Have you been a witness? Have you been an evangel? Or have you just been just sharing the gospel within your own circles? Have you been just shining your light within the four walls of your church, within the comfort of your like-minded social group, within just your Christian friends, those who you know that you won't get much resistance from or have any possibility of having contention or turbulence? Is that where you are today? Are you still afraid? Are you still unprepared? Are you unconcerned? But to be an effective evangelist, uh, effective in evangelism, we have to understand what an evangel is. And I'm gonna just read the definition. It's an archaic word. It's found within the four gospels. Another term for the word evangel is an evangelist. It means good news. It means bringing good news. And then there's another word that is so important in its doctrine. It's beliefs that are taught by a church. It is also something that speaks of a person who is a teacher, a person who declares, and a person who announces. Have you been declaring? Have you been announcing? Have you been actually Sharing the good news? Where do you stand in that regard today? In order, to, in order for us to really be effective in our evangelism, we have to be very well equipped in a very important area. And the approach usually starts with how we can ask the right kind of questions. And it starts with the first question and then it leads through some specific sins, such as lying, stealing, and adultery. And what we're going to do, not in this particular podcast, but we're going to be actually demonstrating and we're going to be doing an actual role play that you can listen to and that you can see how maybe an unaffected approach does not bring fruit. And then we're going to provide another role play and we're going to do another demonstration of the proper way 
when you're engaging people within different scenarios so that you might be effective within your evangelism. So, uh, as we have the proper approach, it talks about in Matthew 5, 27 and 28, that a woman who was caught in adultery, Jesus said that if a man looks upon a woman lustfully, he committeth adultery. And to show that and, and to show that good, though he may be, that they're still guilty of breaking the law. So we'll go through those questions next week and we'll ensure that you actually have the ability to, to be effective in your evangelism. And what's going to really prevent you from having what we call mushroom or false conversions? I want you all to take note of these things. You need to be very well versed in what is redemption. Before you can really show someone how to gain salvation, you have to know what soteriology is or what salvation is and what comprises and what's included in salvation. Redemption is included in it. You as a member of the body of Christ, you may have been a member of a church for years. You said, I'm born again, I'm saved, I love God. But can you really articulate what redemption is? If someone needed to know about what reconciliation is, can you really communicate that? What about the component of adoption? What is imputation? What does conversion really mean? What is justification as it relates to our position with Christ? What is sanctification, glorification, and substitution? And we believe that you should take time and study what those components of salvation is. So that way, as you are sharing your faith and as you're sharing with the sinner who has been convicted of his sin, and then when you present the gospel, you can include those very important nine components so that person can have roots and they can be grounded firmly and anchored in the things of Jesus Christ so that you will be effective in your evangelism. So today, as we continue into this particular lesson, we're going to talk about, for the time we have less, preaching the cure without convincing people of a disease. There's a man by the name of A.B. Earl. He said, I found by long experience, that's the, the true test, that the severest threatenings of the law of God have a prominent place in leading men to Christ. They must see themselves lost before they will cry for mercy. They'll not escape danger until they see that there's danger. A.B. Earl, he was a famous evangelist of the last century who had, catch this, 150,000 converts to substantiate his claims. Satan doesn't want you to get a grip of this, so I want you to really listen very carefully on this Truth Matters podcast. You see, if you try to save a man from drowning when he doesn't believe he's drowning, he won't be too happy with you. Let's say you see him swimming out in the lake and you think, hmm, I think he's drowning. Yeah, I think he, yeah, I believe he is. So you just dive in the water, you grab a hold to the guy, you pull him to the shore without telling, telling him anything or saying anything. He's not going to be too happy with you. And he won't even want to get saved until he sees that he's in danger of drowning. They'll not escape danger until they see the danger. Let's say you came to me and said, hey, hey, uh, Pastor Adams, 
This is the cure to uh, Gronison's disease. I went out and I sold my house. I raised some money to make sure I had this cure. I made a big commitment for this cure of Gronison's disease. And I'm going to give it to you as a free gift, Pastor Adams. I'm going to be looking at you and I'm going to say, well, what? A cure to what? Gronison's disease? You sold your house to raise money to get this, this cure? You giving it to me for as a free gift? Why? Okay, well, well thank you, but bye, I'll catch you later. I'm going to think that you're probably crazy. If you sold your house to raise money to get a cure for a disease I never even heard of, and you're giving it to me as a free gift, I would think that that would be a little bit strange. But let's just say that you conversely came to me and you had this approach. And you said, hey, Pastor Adams, we've confirmed that you have Gronison's disease. I see all the clear symptoms in your flesh. And based upon the symptoms that we see in your flesh, you're going to probably die within two weeks. And I became so convinced that that you have those symptoms. They're so evident in you. And, and then you let me know that I have it. What shall I do? Then you said, don't worry. I have the cure for Gronison's disease. In fact, I sold my house. I raised some money for the cure. And don't you even worry about it. I'm going to give it to you as a free gift. I'm not going to despise your sacrifice. I'm not going to look at you cross-eyed. But I'm going to appreciate it. And then I'm going to appropriate it. Why? Because I've seen that the disease that I might have and and the cure that you have will give me a cure. And I'm going to appreciate the cure. Now let's analyze the motive and the result of those persons that we talked about on last week who were passengers on the airplane. Now, if you analyze those passengers and their experience, the first man's motive for putting on the parachute was solely to improve his flight, right? The result of his experience was that he was humiliated by the passengers. He was disillusioned and somewhat embittered against those who gave him the parachute. As far as he was concerned, It'll be a long time before anyone gets me in one of those parachutes again. But the second man, he put on his parachute solely to escape the jump that he knew he would have to make. And because of his knowledge of what would happen to him without that parachute, he has a deep-rooted joy and peace in his heart knowing that he's going to be saved from sure death. Now, this knowledge gives him the ability to withstand mockery of the other passengers. His attitude toward those who gave him the parachute of one of heartfelt gratitude. Now, consider what the modern gospel says today. It says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. He'll give you love and joy and peace and fulfillment and lasting happiness. In other words, Jesus will improve your flight. So the sinner responds and in an experimental fashion. He puts on the savior, the savior just to see if what his claims are, are actually true. And what does he actually get? He gets promised temptation. He gets tribulation and persecution. The other passengers mock him. So what does he do? 
He takes off the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because he's offended for the word's sake, according to Mark 4 and 17. He's disillusioned and somewhat embittered and quite rightly so. He was promised peace and joy and love and fulfillment and lasting happiness. And all he got was trials and humiliation. His bitterness is directed toward those who gave him the so-called good news. His latter end becomes worse than the first. Another inoculated and bitter backslider. And sadly, that's what's happened in the United States. And this Western world has followed along. Why? Because we've preached the cure without first convincing of the disease. We have preached a gospel of grace without first convincing men of the law that they're transgressors. Consequently, because everyone that I try to witness to in Georgia and around the Bible Belt that say that they're born again and they've been born again six and seven times, you say you need to give your life to Jesus Christ. Hmm. Somebody will respond and say, yeah, I I did that when I was seven years old. Then I got born again when I was 11. Then when I was 17, I got born again again. And then I came back when I was 23. And the last time I did it is when I was 32. You know, that guy's not a Christian. You know, that person's not a Christian. What is he? He's a fornicator. He's a blasphemer. But he thinks that he's saved because he's been so-called born again. What's happening? He's using the grace of God for an occasion to the flesh. How many people do you know? Because of the way that we presented the gospel, And because of how we've affirmed and we've validated their salvation or their soteriological state. And we know that they're living in the flesh. We know that they don't have any commitment to God. There's no fruit bearing. There is nothing that we can identify them as being identified with Christ. So what happens is for him. It's not too bad of a thing to trample on the blood of Jesus Christ under his foot. Why? Because he's never been convinced of a disease that he might appreciate the cure. And we're going to discuss in our few minutes that we have less left in this podcast today, the principle of biblical evangelism. Biblical evangelism is always without exception. Please write this down. First, the law to the proud, and then secondly, grace to the humble. Never will you see Jesus giving the gospel, the good news of the cross, the grace of our God to a proud, arrogant, self-righteous person. No, no, you will never find it. With the law, he breaks the hard heart. And with the gospel, he heals the broken heart. I'm going to say it again. With the law, he breaks the hard heart. And with the gospel of grace, he heals the broken heart. Why? Because he always did those things that pleased his father. God resists the proud and he gives grace to the humble, according to James 4 and 6. Everyone who is proud of heart, the scripture says, is an abomination to the Lord, according to Proverbs 16 and 5. Biblical evangelism is always, without exception, law to the proud and grace to the humble. Jesus told us whom the gospel is for. He said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor, to the brokenhearted 
to the captives and the blind in Luke 4 and 18. These are spiritual statements. The poor in spirit, according to Matthew 5 and 3. The brokenhearted are the contrite ones, according to Isaiah 57 and 15. The captives are those whom Satan has taken captive to do his will, according to 2 Timothy 2 and 26. And the blind are those whom God of this world has blinded, lest the light of the gospel should shine into them, according to 2 Corinthians 4 and 4. Only the sick need a physician, according to Mark 2 and 17. And only those who are convinced of the disease will appreciate and appropriate the cure. So we're going to very briefly look at examples of the law to the proud and grace to the humble. If you look at Luke 10 and 25, Luke 10 and 25. Now, when I give a reference, I give it twice because I know that most men who are listening to this Men need to be told things twice. Men need to be told things twice. I just said it again twice. I remember when my my wife would say, hey, babe, I need you to go to the store, pick up some noodles, pick up some cheese, stop by and pick up some uh, evaporated milk and then stop and pick up some juice. And she'd give me the list and I would come back with maybe half of what she said. She says, where's the evaporated milk? Where's the noodles? Oh, she says, you know what? I need to, and then I need to tell you again. So she would, when I would go, she said, oh, now what what are you going to get? Okay, repeat it back to me. I'm going to tell you once again. So we need to make sure that we know and we need to be told things twice. The Bible says that I remind you of things even though you know them. So it's very important that we as people of God know what the law to the proud is. So let's look at Luke 10 and 25. We see a certain lawyer who stood up and tempted Jesus. He wasn't an attorney, but he was a professing expert of God's law. He stood up and said to Jesus, how can I get everlasting life? What did Jesus do? Did he just answer him and say, okay, let me tell you. He said, no, I'm going to give him the law. Why? Because he was proud. He was arrogant. He was self-righteous. We have here we have a professing expert in God's law tempting the son of God. And the spirit of his question was, and what do you think we've got to do to get everlasting life? So Jesus gave him the law. He said, what's written in the law? What is your reading of it? How do you read it? How do you see it? Ah, It says that you should love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart and mind and soul and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, do this and you shall live. But the scripture went on to say, but that lawyer, he stood up in order to justify himself. He said to Jesus, well, who is my neighbor? If you all read the living Bible. It says this, and it brings it out more clearly. The effect of the law to the man, it said, the man wanted to justify his lack of love for some kinds of people. So he asked, which neighbors? I could preach a whole sermon on that today. There are so many people today who call themselves Christians, who call themselves born again. They walk around and they say, well, I'm totally 1000% against against abortion and I support people of certain certain ethnicities. 
but yet I don't care nothing about the people who are actually alive. I care about people who are of my skin color, but those are people who are African-Americans or who are a different social economical status and live in a certain part of town or who live in a certain type of a country or who come from a certain type of a culture. I don't care anything about them. Then they're not really my neighbors. But yet I'm born again. And Jesus wanted this man to say, "Okay, see, this man right here is asking which neighbor. See, he didn't mind Jews because he was a Jew, but he didn't like Samaritans. How many people in my listening audience know people like that? I only like certain kind of people who call themselves Christians. I don't like those so-called black Christians. I don't like those so-called white Christians. I don't like the poor Christians. I don't like the suburban Christians. So Jesus told him the story of what we call the Good Samaritan. But I want you all to be very understand something is even though he's called the Good Samaritan, he wasn't good at all. In loving his neighbor as much as he loved himself, he was just merely obeying the basic requirements of God's law. And the effect of the essence of the law, the spirituality of the law, of what the law demands in truth was that the man's mouth got stopped. See, he didn't love his neighbor to that degree. The law was given to stop every mouth and leave the whole world guilty before God. Similarly, when you read Luke 18, 18 through uh, verse 22, it talks about a rich young ruler who came to Jesus and he said, how can I get everlasting life? How would most of us react if someone came up and asked us, how can I get everlasting life? What would we say? Oh, okay. Well, uh, if you want to be born again, if you want to get everlasting life, I want you to repeat after me. Hurry up and say this prayer before you change your mind. But what did Jesus do with this potential convert? He pointed him to the law. He gave him five horizontal commandments to do with his fellow man. And he said, ah, I've done all of them. I, I pay my tithes. I keep the Sabbath day. I fast twice a week. But Jesus wanted to show him that the things that he could superficially by his own performance sort of pop his collar and boast about. Jesus says, yeah, but it's one thing that you lack. And he used the essence of the first of the Ten Commandments that I am the Lord your God and you shall have no other gods before me in Exodus 20 and 2. And by telling him that, he showed that man that his God was his money and that you cannot serve God and mammon. The law is always given to the person who is proud and we'll be talking next week about grace to the humble. But we're so thankful today for you all taking time to join this Truth Matters podcast. And if we want to be effective in our evangelism, we've got to change the way that we approach people with the gospel. We've got to first make a commitment that we care enough. We can't just be like the priest and the Levite who saw someone who was dying and who was hurting on the other side of the road and say, well, if they want to be saved, they need to pull themselves up by their own bootstrap. Do we have enough compassion? Do we have enough concern? Do we care about the 150,000 people who die every day 
Are they born again? Are they saved? The Bible tells us something that's quite disturbing. It says straight is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And many there be that go in thereat. But it says straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leads to life. And only a few there be that go in thereat. I've always asked my question, why are only so few people actually making it into heaven? What was their choice? And what was really the nucleus of their choice? Is it because maybe we were not as members of the body of Christ obedient to the great command in Matthew 28? Did we forsake what God told us to do in Matthew 5 and letting our light shine? Did we neglect what the Bible says in the book of Acts that we should go into all the world and preach the gospel? Were we deficient? Were we adolescent? Were we novice in knowing how to reach people with the gospel? Were we just satisfied with mushroom conversions and people just going through semantics and going through the gymnastics of perhaps our little methodology of what makes them saved? Did we look the other way or did we make sure that they took root? Were we just satisfied in throwing seed according to the book of Matthew 13? When we saw the seed fall on the wayside, did we stop throwing it? When some fell among thorns, did we keep on throwing it? When it fell and it actually got choked up, did we quit? Or did we keep throwing it until it found good ground and took root? Do we care about babies? Do we care about nurturing? Have we committed ourselves to helping that person who's hurting, that person who's lost, that person who's in darkness, that person who's confused, that person who's hungry for God, do we care? We've got to be effective in our evangelism. We want to hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I'm going to make you ruler over many. Thank God today for you joining this podcast. There are a lot of things that we need to find priority in. And there are so many things that are a priority like being effective in our evangelism. And there are so many other things that don't really matter in this world comparatively. But one thing I know for sure is that the truth, it always matters. God bless you.